Greetings. This is Justin Allen with the Elite Nurse Practitioner. Welcome to the Elite Nurse Practitioner Show, a podcast dedicated to nurse practitioner entrepreneurism and achieving financial freedom, where I talk directly with nurse practitioners who need help. Listen up. Our market is saturated. Jobs can be scarce. We are underpaid. We are undervalued. We are taken advantage of by the sharks within the healthcare system. And frankly, screw that. Sick of it. And it's time for a change. And listen, I'm here to help make that happen. We are powerful. We can forge a path where we are in control of our career and ultimately our financial and personal well-being. You do not need to submit to healthcare administrators and your doctor overlords. You do not have to take the measly salary. You do not have to work 50 to 60 hours a week. There is a different way, and I'm here to show you that path. This podcast is raw and unfiltered. I have not talked to nurse practitioners in this podcast prior to the call outside of an email exchange to schedule the episode. What you're about to listen to is a consultation session between a nurse practitioner and myself. It is real, it is unscripted, it is unplanned, and I have no idea what we're going to talk about. Anything and everything can happen during our conversation. The nurse practitioners in these episodes are struggling with an issue in their professional or financial life, and they have reached out to me for help. My goal is to help a nurse practitioner with actionable advice that will enhance and improve their professional, business, and financial life. My other goal is to hopefully help my nurse practitioner sisters and brothers build a more productive, powerful, and free life. So I hope the content and information within these podcast episodes does just that. All right, on to the episode. Hello, everyone. Today, we'll be talking to Darren, who is a practice owner who employs nurse practitioners at his hormone replacement therapy clinic. Darren started this telemedicine practice about four or five months ago, but he also owns a lab work company that is tailored towards the fitness community. He's getting assistance with marketing the practice to increase patient volume, how to focus in on his target market, the logistics of refills and operating the practice, and how to scale a business as a non-clinical owner. Hey, Darren, how are you? Good. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm good, man. Hey, I'm excited about this call. I think this is the first... Uh, I think it's the first podcast we've had where we we're just talked to a practice owner who's not a nurse <laughs> practitioner. So this is going to be, uh, yes, this is going to be a little interesting. Um, if I uh, if I call you a nurse practitioner or ask you something like that, I apologize. It's just wired in my brain. So you are uh, totally fine. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, cool, cool. So awesome. Yeah, so yeah, I want to pick your brain here. This is uh, this is pretty interesting. So um, tell me about yourself. Uh, you know, how long you've been a business owner for? Uh, just what you've been doing. What provoked you to start a you know a telemedicine hormone replacement therapy clinic? That sort of thing. Yeah, so I've owned this business for two years. Uh, we start out initially doing lab sales through LabCorp, um, primarily targeting the fitness and bodybuilding community. And I initially worked in supply chain, um, worked there for about a year, um, didn't enjoy what I was doing. And I had this business idea for a couple of years and I, I'm young still. I'm not too old. I'm only 26. And oh, wow. okay. I figured, yeah. So I figured at this time, this would be the best time to take a risk and try starting my own business because yeah. I got plenty of time. If things don't work out, I can always go get a job. Yeah. No, good for you, man. I wish, uh, I wish I would have started it when I was 26, to be honest with you. Um, so, so yeah, congratulations. You'll be, uh, you'll be a millionaire by the time you're 40 if, uh, if things go well. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool deal. Okay. So, uh, tell me a little bit more about this lab company. So you own this lab work company and you provide labs toward, to people interested in fitness and bodybuilding and whatnot that don't really want to go through a, a clinic. So, they pay you and you have some medical director in the background that just signs off on orders or something. I guess walk me through that a little bit. 
Yeah, so that's essentially what we do. Uh, we do offer consultations as well if they are wanting it. Um, but so we primarily work with a lot of coaches that they help coach people in the pro bodybuilding community. So a lot of them are not going through clinics to get their uh, pharmaceuticals and whatnot. Um, a lot of them are going to underground areas and doing things in a way that isn't legal, um, which sure. isn't something I, I want to get involved in, obviously. Um, but they still understand the importance of maintaining their health, doing things in a way that's safe. So we try to at least provide that avenue for them to look over their lab work. And we try to really work with coaches that are credible. They know what they're doing. They understand how to read the lab work. That way they're keeping their clients safe. Um, and where we come in is a lot of insurance, like a lot of practices that use insurance won't do preventative blood work. So us being a cash-based practice um, and be able to sell blood work panels to people online, they can build their own lab work panels and get exactly what they're wanting to get. Interesting. Okay. Um, and you said you started that about uh, about two years ago, what you said? Yeah. So we started doing that in November of 2021. Okay. And how much have you, uh, how much have you netted from that so far? Netted, uh, I want to say it's over 150 grand gross revenue. We're a little over 300,000. Good for you, man. Okay. So Thank you. yeah. So you're making a little bit of money. Yeah. 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 Um, not too bad for being 26 years old. I wasn't making I wasn't making that when I was 26 years old. So, uh, yeah. So, congratulations. And okay, so now you've pivoted. So, I guess you saw an opportunity here to, um, I guess, help provide the hormone replacement therapy to. I'm assuming similar clients. Yeah, similar clients. I mean, a lot of the men aren't going to be going through to get prescriptions from clinics, uh, but female clients will. Uh, Female TRT is becoming a lot more popular. And um, the thing is, it's hard to get a testosterone vial that is specific towards women. Um, there are very few pharmacies that are even doing it. Um, TaylorMade is one of the ones that's doing it. And I believe in power. Um, power but, you know, yeah. Yeah. And power will. That's where we order. Uh, that's where we order predominantly most of our testosterone for the, for the women that come into my men's health clinic. Yeah, but it's crazy to see that you know, there's a lot of clinics that are still pres- like prescribing the 200 milligram or 100 milligram vial to women, and you have yeah. women are taking two to five milligrams a week. You can't accurately dose that. No, that's it's impossible. Yeah, you need like those little 20 milligram vials and stuff. Um, yeah, so having that's definitely a big option, and, and that's where you know if people are in that female fitness community. Um, they still want to go through clinics. Um, and another thing we help with is GI issues. So if you want me to do a GI map. Um, because they've been taking different compounds or whatnot for competing. Um, sometimes they'll have gut dysbiosis and we'll help fix them there. Okay, interesting. So it's just uh like this all-inclusive wellness coaching kind of business, and you're wanting to um, I guess get in on the medical side here, right? Basically. Yes, correct. Yeah, right. Okay, so um, so you've hired some providers, it sounds like you've hired some nurse practitioners, and I think you uh uh, do you have an MD, um, on yes. staff too? Yeah. So we have one MD and one MP. Okay. And, uh, are you in multiple States or just a couple States or how's that looking? Uh, we're currently operating in 14 States. We have one physical location in Indiana, um, but okay. we're primarily telemedicine based. Okay. 14 States. Wow. Okay. Uh, very nice. Uh, the MD is in the restrictive States. I'm assuming and the NP is in there, uh, the independent NP States. Yes, that's primarily how I've gone about trying to get things organized in terms of licensing. Yeah, yeah, that's smart. Um, Okay, cool deal. And so you've been open for four or five months doing this. How's it going? It's it's going well. Um, I've kind of realized I need to be marketing to people outside of just that fitness area. It's hard to market 
um, hormone replacement therapy, especially to male bodybuilders. Um, it's something they need, but they're, they're getting it cheaper on their own elsewhere. Um, so I'm trying to pivot a little bit and be able to market towards that, you know, 40 to 45 year old man. Um, who's, you know, is like a lawyer or someone who's is making a decent amount of money and they're just wanting an extra boost out of their life. Sure. Sure. I mean, they don't want the, they don't want to go anabolic and be a pro bodybuilder. They just want to feel better and look better. Yeah. I just want to feel optimized and dialed in. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And the providers that you have, the NP and this MD, they're pretty, uh, they're pretty knowledgeable about this sort of thing. They are, they are pretty knowledgeable. Um, okay. the one different, the one difference we have those, what we do a little bit differently is we have a patient care coordinator who's really involved on the bodybuilding side of, commu- of that thing. So when we do get patients that come from that realm, they're able to interpret a little bit um, and kind of give some sort of initial feedback to the providers because there's compounds that those guys use that you know our providers aren't necessarily going to be familiar with just because some of those things aren't prescribed in the U.S. and whatnot. Oh, okay. I got you. So then this patient care coordinator kind of tells them, Hey, this is what this is just FYI. And yeah, just helps yeah. bridge the gap and tell them, Hey, I got this you. is going to impact this blood marker in this way. I got you. I got you. Smart. Okay. Um, okay. So you are wanting to scale this thing, obviously. Um, before we jump into that though, uh, what's your, what's your revenue like for this business? Um, so I've kind of combined the two businesses. It hasn't been a lot. Uh, right now, we only have like 20 patients. Okay. Um, I mean, part of, part of that is, you know, we haven't been really pressing the gas too hard on it either, just with all the DEA regulations coming into play and um, just trying to be cautious and not expand too quickly, um, just because we don't know where things are going to happen with, with telemedicine and whatnot. Yeah, that's smart. Uh, that's that's really smart. Um, I applaud you for that. A lot of people just jump into this and, you know, they're not really thinking thinking too ahead in the future. So this was recorded in the summer of 2023 uh, prior to the uh, release of the new DEA regulations that are supposed to come out in November. So uh, by the time this is published, we'll, you know, we'll know <laughs> what we're doing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So people are listening to this. Uh, it's going to be, you know, some of what we're talking about here is going to be, you know, kind of worthless, but, uh, but anyways, though. Um, so yeah, that's a smart idea. I think it's a good idea to just kind of maybe, uh, hold off on the gas too much and see what happens. But I suspect it's going to be a little bit more liberal than what, what they proposed back in May. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't think that they're going to be able to get away with the restrictions that they put in place, you know, only a 30 day prescription. You have to like, it, it's completely unrealistic considering that since COVID we've been doing this for years now, there's no issues whatsoever. We're talking about, hundreds of thousands of patients who've been treated like it's 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 ridiculous like seeing the patient one time in person what is that how does that change anything like yeah. what is that okay great yeah yeah you're real I, I knew you were i saw you on the video call like <laughs> you know well, well the other thing to consider that no one else is really talking about either with that is um at the moment in time with the pandemic you only had to have one dea license uh, to operate, you just had to have the medical licenses in each state that you're operating in. Um, if we were to go back to the original rules, you have to go back and get a DEA license in each state. Um, no one's really talking about that, but I'll be curious to see what happens once final ruling comes out with that. Because um, yeah. that's just good. that's yeah, just as big of an impact as you know being able to provide uh, Thomas or not. Because patients will get lost. A hundred percent. Yeah, they really just need to come out with just some sort of federal DEA license. This whole one per state's just it's ridiculous. Um, it's expensive too. 
yes, you know, not nine hundred bucks a pop. Uh, you spent well over ten thousand dollars on just DEA licenses. I mean, that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, absolutely. And we, ideally, we would like to expand to, into all fifty states. Um, sure. But you know, with not knowing what's going to happen with the DEA licenses and whatnot, we don't want to put that capital out just yeah. to release a federal DEA. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't push the envelope too far here on this one uh, quite yet. So, with that said, are we wanting to talk about more of like strategy? Uh, assuming the DEA is going to open it up a little bit more, or are we wanting to just just yeah, I think that would patience? be good. Yeah, okay. So if they so if they open it up, okay, they you know they become a lot more liberal with it. Let's say uh, if you've seen the patients prior, then you don't have to see them in person. Um, if that's the case, then you need to be seeing as many patients as you possibly can now, right? But we have no idea if that's going to be the case. Um, if they're you know. Eh, Maybe just schedule two substances required in person. Anything schedule, you know, schedule three, four, five. Uh, you don't need to see a uh, you know patient in person. I have a feeling that's what it's going to be. Um, personally, uh, just because I mean, come on, schedule three, four, five. Like, what? Why do you have to see someone in person to prescribe an Ambien? I mean, come on. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I know there's there's been some talks about descheduling testosterone. Um, I, there was a meeting that took place. I don't know if you'd seen it yet, but I can send you the documentation on that after this call, if you'd like. Interesting. Oh, from the DEA? Uh, yes. Yeah, I mean, they should. It's, I don't understand why it's a Schedule 3. It's in the same cl- same schedule as Xanax and Ativan and stuff. Like, yeah, it shouldn't yeah. be scheduled at all. It shouldn't be scheduled at all. All right, it's ridiculous. Uh, you can take you know a handful of Xanax and drink a beer and black out and... You know, kill someone driving a car. That's not going to happen with testosterone. Like it's yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. Um, okay. Anyways, though, so let's just so let's just assume that um, it's going to be a little bit more liberal. Okay. So if I was if I was to make that prediction or or just feel like that's what's going to happen, I would slowly ease into this right now. I would you know I'd spend a little bit of money marketing. Um, I, I would do it to a point to where it isn't going to be uh, an absolute cluster on your end trying to get everyone seen one time in person by the providers. Mm. Okay. okay. So keep that in mind. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want a thousand patients. You know what yeah. I mean? But if you can get up to a hundred, 150, that's, that's something that is manageable. Okay. Yeah. If they're required to be seen in person, you should be able to figure out a solution. Okay. There's probably going to be some, you know, the, the current regulations in place, you know, a patient can be referred to you. Right. So I'm sure you could, I'm sure you could work something out. Here's a form, have your primary care doctor fill it out. Now they're referring you to me and now we're good, you know? Yeah. 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 So there should be some ways to pivot there. So, so if it was me, I would just only have the goal of maybe a hundred, 150 patients, dude, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't want any more than that until you have a concrete uh, confirmation on what's going to happen. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, I guess the biggest thing is just understanding how I can market towards that, you know, 45 year old man audience a little bit more. And crazy thing is I really haven't paid much at all for marketing for my business. What I probably okay. did is since we're cash, since we're cash based, we can do affiliates and have referral business and whatnot. Um, so what I did was I got different bodybuilding coaches in the community and basically gave out a commission for lab sales that they generated. So I was only paying 
marketing if they were generating sales. So I've only spent maybe a thousand dollars in ads since I've started my business. <laughs> yeah, wow. so I, I barely spent anything at all doing nice. my business. It's it's been primarily just commission based, which has worked really well with us being cash based. We're allowed to do it. Yeah, affiliate based marketing like that uh, works works great. You know, having word of mouth loyalty programs and referral programs and stuff. That stuff works fantastic. And like you said, if you're not taking Medicare, Medicaid, uh, you don't really got to worry about it. Yeah, um, absolutely. So running ads is like entirely new for me. I, it's not something I've really had to do at all. I've done a little yeah. bit of it. Um, interesting, interesting enough, I actually did, the ads I did run, I was only running them on Reddit, um, primarily because okay. the bodybuilding community really operates in that area. So I could target which subreddits and communities I was advertising in. So that way my... That way, my business was seeing the right spots. Yeah, um, I advertised on Reddit when I had my uh, online transgender HRT practice uh, before I sold it. Um, I marketed on uh, on Reddit, and we actually got quite a few patients on it. It's a great uh, Reddit's a great uh, marketing channel because you can really target various communities and whatnot. So um, you might want to maybe explore that some more. Um, okay. What I would do over the next over the next couple months, maybe play around with it a little bit. Maybe throw just a couple thousand bucks a month into it. Okay. Not a whole lot. You know, $2,000. Maybe do some, uh, maybe do a few little feeler ads on, you know, on Reddit with some very targeted uh, communities. Um, I would probably avoid advertising this on social media. I'd probably do maybe like a Google search ad, uh, you know, people searching for HRT for, you know, to improve their fitness and their wellness or whatever. Uh, you can do some Google search ads, you know, based off of keywords. So that's the way you would do that just to get just traffic to your website. And that's going to be a little bit more broad though. Uh, it's going to be hard to really target a specific age group, um, doing that. That's going to be more just like cold call sort of marketing, yeah. you know what I mean? Just searching for leads. So my um, ads then will be a little higher probably than with Google. It will. Yeah. Well, the Google search ads, the, those, those patients are going to be a little bit warmer, because they're looking for you, you know? Okay. But advertising on Reddit or even advertising on like Facebook or whatever, that's that's extreme cold calling kind of marketing, right? You're just sending a signal out hoping that you get some bites basically. Mm-hmm. So you might want to try, yeah, I, I would experiment with it, experiment with your ad copy, experiment with the images, experiment with the with the message and whatnot and see, see kind of what works. You know, you just got to do a lot of split testing basically, just have lots of different ads going out different graphics, different messages, you know, different quotes, whatever on it, and then see which ones pull. And then whatever ones pull, that's where you really want to dump your energies into, right? You don't need to hire a marketing agency to do that. You seem like you're a bright guy. I mean, it's not that hard to figure out. Um, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure I could figure it out. Um, I guess the one question I do have is when you've marketed on different websites, like Facebook and whatnot, have you run into your ads getting blocked or taken down because you're advertising a medical service at all? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, it's going to happen. Um, yeah, you have to go through something called legit script. If you want to like advertise like a medication, uh, they charge a lot for the service. Uh, It it seems almost like a scam to me. Um, Mm. but you know, Facebook and Google and all these social media platforms have this contract with them, I guess. Then you have to pay them to be legit in terms of marketing and medication. Um, uh, so you, so you'd have to go through legit script if you want to actually advertise a specific medication. Now you can advertise a service and see what happens. 
the key is, is that you can't really point fingers. It has to be somewhat generic in nature. You can't create an ad saying looking to lose 50 pounds or, you know, feeling overweight. Okay, yeah. you, you, want, you want to feel healthier. Like you can't point fingers because it hurts people's feelings, I guess. Um, you know, I don't, I don't, whatever. Uh, so, but yeah, you can't point fingers, but you can just kind of have it be a little bit more broad. Okay. Like weight loss clinic now open, you know, online HRT, uh, you know, wellness practice now open, whatever. Okay. Just like more generic messaging like that. Does that make sense? Yep. That does. So just basically kind of point towards service rather than product. Right. Point, just get them to your site. Then that's when that's when you can sell them on whatever. Okay. Okay. Right. Yeah. That so just be a little sense. bit more. Yeah. Be a little bit more broad in nature. Right. Um, you can hide uh, certain um, keywords and whatnot in the image, and the Facebook algorithm and whatnot might not find that because it's mostly just AI and algorithms that approve ads and you know disapprove ads and whatnot. So very few times is you know an actual human eye looking at it. So you can hide, you know, words and images. I've done that before and got away with it. Like TRT, and I just put it like in the image. And so then that way it doesn't like, it doesn't pick up on it. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Have you, do you think it's beneficial to run like an actual Facebook business page and have posts on that Facebook business page? Oh, yeah. Page or for, just say for, okay. Nah, for something like this, man, you need to be on as many channels as possible. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I wasn't to- sure. Yeah, I would be on as many channels as possible. That's for anyone listening to this. Like, don't just have one Facebook page. Like, have your Facebook page, have an Instagram page, have a LinkedIn page, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like, have as many channels that people can find you through as possible. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty active on Instagram with the page. Um, okay. But I haven't really done a lot with Facebook. Just, I know the posts need to be different. We you know with Instagram, it's, you know, people want, pictures and little bits of text, something that was really visually appealing. Whereas Facebook, you can have, you know, maybe one picture, then it can, you can have that long text form, right? Right. Right. Uh, format. So, well, and then obviously I'll, people like reels now as well. Yeah. That too. Right. Um, I'll tell you this though. Uh, if you really want to target that middle aged 40 year old, uh, man or, you know, woman who's, you know, a professional, somewhat successful, the Facebook demographic is a little bit older. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. It's the younger audiences on Instagram. Yeah. Younger audiences are on Instagram. The younger, younger ones are on TikTok and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, uh, but I mean, most people though still have a Facebook page. Most people do, you know? So, I mean, it is still the largest social media network in the world and it still grows. It still grows like month to month. Um, Mm. yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not going anywhere. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so anyways, be on there. What would be like a good amount you think to spend on Facebook ads? Somebody starting out. I mean, I guess if my business has been around for a little while, if I can afford to spend more if I need to. Um, but at what point do you start to notice traction coming in? Uh, I mean, you should be starting to get clicks within, you know, I mean, days of launching it really. Uh, I would probably do, like I said, some even split testing. You know, let's just say you budget $2,000 a month advertising this um, over the next few months, you know, kind of just waiting to see what happens with the DEA and whatnot. And you can start collecting this data. um, That way, you know what channels you should really uh focus in on once once the uh, regulations become a lot you know a lot uh, a lot more clear um so i would just say let's just say two thousand dollars a month 
uh, you know, maybe 500 bucks on Facebook, 500 bucks on Instagram, 500 bucks on Reddit, 500 bucks on Google, and just see which one's pulled. Okay. Yeah, I can do that. That's an easy way to cipher which one's going to bring the most per dollar. So, yeah, yeah. And this is the thing too. If you want to target more wealthier individuals, okay, it might be hard to target a specific age group in some of these different channels. Like on Reddit, for example, um, I don't think there is an, a, uh, a, uh, a way to target an age group, but you can target based off interests and subreddits, sub forums that they're on. And so be thinking to yourself, what's a middle-aged person uh, going to be looking at on Reddit? Well, I can tell you okay. right now, I'm almost 40 years old and I do have a Reddit account. I'm on the fat fire subreddit. I'm on the fire subreddit. I'm on the investing subreddit. I'm on the stock market sub. You know what I mean? Yep. That so, makes sense. Yeah. So be thinking about that. Like a 40 year old is not interested in, you know, some gaming feed subreddit. They don't care. I don't, you know. Yeah, I know that, that makes total sense. You know, advertise towards the interests that they're already to be searching at or the your ads pop up in the right places. Exactly. Right. So you can do that on Reddit. Uh, you can do similar things on Facebook and Instagram too, based off of interests. So, like on Facebook and uh, on Facebook, for example, you can you, you can target an age because everyone's age is published on Facebook. So you can say between the ages of forty and fifty, who are interested in you know various interests that more higher net worth individuals are probably looking at. Mm, okay, yeah, that so makes that makes a lot of sense then. Yeah, yeah. So that's how you're going to target pe- specific people on you know on the internet, basically. It's a little harder to do on Google, um, especially if you're doing keyword searches because you know they're just going to pop up based off the keyword people are searching for. So, um, but that's why I'm saying experiment with them and see what, you know, see what works. Uh, Google ads, Google search ads work great for my men's health clinic. Yeah, that, that is a surprise that they work well. I, I tried them. I think the first month I spent like $500 on Google ads and it didn't generate me a lot of traffic. But the one thing I did notice that generated me a lot of traffic from Google was just doing stuff with SEO, um, managing yep. my SEO and doing all my meta fields on the website was able to definitely boost me higher in search rankings. And once you start getting more traffic anyway from other outlets, you're going to appear higher in searches anyhow. 100%, you know? So, and then you can also look at, uh, you know, anyone who's wanting to, you know, market their practice or business or whatever. And, you, you know, once you narrow in your target market, you know, there are still, there are still internet communities out there you know, message boards and forums and stuff that are off of social media. And sometimes you can get some ad space on, you know, on the top of those, on, you know, on those websites themselves. And it just takes a little bit of just some research and going out there and looking for stuff. Yeah, that would probably be a good place to advertise as well. I mean, considering that I was, that's basically what people do on Reddit is they advertise towards specific communities. So that'd be uh, a similar way to do that somehow. Right, exactly. On those websites. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, any other questions in terms of, uh, um, some of this marketing stuff. Yeah. So I've, I'm considering renaming my business. Um, the problem is we already have established credibility, um, at least for the lab sales end of things. I was kind of wondering, I, th- I thought initially I should have just made the HRT a separate business. Um, but I just, my services have kind of evolved into doing lab testing and HRT. So right now our name is Synergistic Labs and I'm the labs aspect is not fully en- en- encompassing of what we do. You know, we do HRT, but people primarily know us for our lab testing. And I was wondering if you had any ideas on how I should rebrand, should I change my name or keep no, it yeah. currently? 
I mean, dude, you generate three hundred thousand dollars in revenue in less than two years. So I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do anything. I wouldn't do anything crazy. Uh, what I would do is I would probably just operate this HRT business just under a separate LLC or separate entity, and just feed uh, both businesses through the websites. You know, in partnership with whatever, whatever HRT clinic in partnership with this lab company. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And just have just yeah. links, link outs to each one. And that would be like your preferred. This is, you know, interested, you know, have lab work, interested in treatment, call this place, you know, call your HRT practice. Someone like a, like a sister company, basically. Basically just a sister company. Correct. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, that sense, yeah. yeah, that's how I would do it. So would it need to be a separate LLC or could I just have a DBA? Uh, for something like this. So you're going to start mixing in some liabilities here, right? Like the lab work company that you got sounds like that has minimal liability associated with it. Like, I mean, what are you really going to get sued for? So that one seems to be low liability. A practice, on the other hand, where you're prescribing meds and whatnot, it's going to increase that liability significantly. So I would separate out, I would separate out that liability. Okay. All right. Yeah, I can definitely do that then. That, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I guess, so aside from marketing, the other question I had was, um, how have you gone about managing refills once you've gotten more patients? Um, I know there's very few pharmacies, very few pharmacies that do automated refills for controlled substances. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, automatic refills, uh, even if there's a pharmacy that has automatic refills for it, I would still, I, I still wouldn't use that function because, uh, patients fall off all the time. And what if one of those automatic refills went through and they got another five ml bottle of testosterone and they haven't paid you or haven't followed up with you or whatever. Now they got a free ball of testosterone and you're still on the hook for them. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So, so what I have, how I have, go ahead. Sorry. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I was going to say, I, I personally would try to avoid doing automatic refills like that. So instead, you know, the best way to do it is, is, what I what we do is we just text the patients a reminder. Okay. Okay. So in the EMR scheduling system that we have, you know, when the patient's seen for follow-up, the receptionist medical assistant puts their um, appointment in for their follow-up, you know, three months later, six months later, whatever it is. And it's a reminder for like to get your lab work done. Okay. So typically speaking, you can do that as well with medication refill. So when they are scheduling their follow-up at the same time, they can just go ahead and put some automatic reminders in the schedule. That's just a text reminder. Hey, your refill should be coming up soon. And it would just be a guesstimate. You know what I mean? But as long as it's close and early, then it'll just remind them to now call you or go into your clinical portal or whatever and request for the refill. That makes sense. How how I have things set up currently, it's, it's kind of a cross between subscription and bill per refill. So we use Optimatra for our EMR and I have it set up. So they're on a subscription plan, but I have it. So their subscription plan is billed, you know, based on however long their medication lasts for. So let's say their testosterone lasts for 15 weeks or whatever, then they're billed every 15 weeks automatically because their cards already saved on file. And then with Taylor Bait compounding, since they do automated refills, um, I've just been running everything through there because they work in every state, I think, except North Carolina. So it's made that process simple, but they're only able to do automated refills for people that have an MD. So, right, 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 right. Yeah. Yeah. Taylor Maids in Kentucky, I believe. The 
regulation yeah. saying there's practitioners there are a little bit more restricted. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you could do that option too, but uh, relying on just one pharmacy is never really a good idea. Um, I know you want to automate this as much as possible, but um, yeah, I would just be, I would be very, very hesitant on automatic refill thing like that for, for a controlled substance or any medication really in general. Uh, it's just liability associated with it. You know, you want to make sure that people are being followed up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. And I, I do have it set. So, uh, it's like 12 weeks after they get their initial prescription or whatever. Um, they do get an email, uh, with a follow-up form as well as a link to purchase follow-up lab work. So I'm still doing my due diligence on that in terms of, you know, Hey, you need to like the automated refill is still there, but right. It's for many a lapse in care and they're still getting their stuff. Sure. But as you get busier, there's going to be some that fall through the hoops. I guarantee it. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. You there's know. definitely gonna be some gaps and having to chase people and whatnot. There's oh, you, you better believe it. I mean, you know, my men's health clinic has hundreds and hundreds of patients, and we have patients that fall through, you know, fall through the cracks all the time. Like I'll 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 follow up with a patient and I'm just like, I haven't seen this guy in 10 months. Why? Oh, wow. You know, like, why did he get a refill three months ago? Like, what, 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 you know, what happened here? And there was just a disconnect somehow. Some, some, there was a disconnect or something. You know what I mean? Um, something like that. I mean, that, that kind of thing can happen with, you know, at, at, at any practice, like small mistakes like that can happen. I mean, you can have systems and policies in place to prevent it from happening, but it still can happen. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with non-controls with controls, you know, the provider should be signing off on it. Um, in this case, it wasn't testosterone. It was, uh, I believe it was like Tadalafil or Sildenafil or something like that. But like mm. the patient pretty much, you know, I mean, he, he, he didn't get his follow-up for some reason, but the, but, but the medication was refilled and, you know, but with a controlled substance, the provider should be signing it. So they should be logging into the chart and checking and stuff there, you know, themselves. But uh, but I mean, yeah. errors, errors still can still happen, especially if, especially if you have a lot of patients. So, yep, that that makes total sense. Um, so, do you incorporate peptides into your clinics as well, or no? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, how have you got it? Yeah, I've, I've noticed it's an easy way to get a little bit more uh, per patient. Um, how have you gone about like incorporating that into like your conversations with patients? Is there a certain way you almost sell it? Is it's, it's a hard line because I kind of have the, the patient care coordinator who's doing that like initial call with the patient kind of get an idea of, you know, what peptides you have available, but the physicians I work with, you know, they don't want to be involved necessarily on the selling aspect of things because they just want to treat patients. So they don't want them thinking that there's a monetary aspect associated with that. Typically we have the information on the website or like in the initial intake packet or like the information sheet that we give the patient. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the times they're the ones that just ask us about it. Okay. Um, yeah. Like we give them the information and then it's up to them to take a look at it and be like, Hey, I'm interested in, you know, this Samoralin. Can you tell me more about it? Um, we typically will not sell them on a peptide unless, uh, you know, we check their IGF one, you know, their during the initial evaluation, if it's like very low and the patient's having some, you know, recovery issues or, uh, you know, flaky 
poor skin integrity and, you know, symptoms of uh, lower growth hormone levels, then, and then, then, then we might bring it up. Hey, your IGF one's pretty low. You know, we maybe, we, you know, we could try a peptide to see if we can get your growth hormone levels up, see if that helps, uh, you know, help, help you feel better. So, so it's mostly clinically driven um, or it's just the patient, you know, reads about it or they look at the, you know, our website or their intake form and then they ask about it. So we don't really necessarily try to push it hard. Okay. Gotcha. But you, you, you keep the IGF one on that initial blood test. That way you can at least have an idea of 100%. whether it's something you could recommend. Okay. Yeah. But yeah. Not every clinic tests for that. I've seen some clinics, they, they don't even test for that or they don't test for surprise. They don't even test for a PSA, which I, that surprises me. Yeah. You know, they're, they're kind of following that mindset of if you don't ask the question then you're not liable for it kind of a thing. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Which is piss poor care. That's not a good idea. Yeah, definitely, definitely not a good idea. And you know, there's some clinics yeah. that don't really do follow up visits, or it's you know, it's a very, you know, it's a very short call. It's like a ten minute conversation. <laughs> Dude, I know, man. I've seen some, I've seen some clinics before. It's just like <laughs> they don't even do blood work. It's just like, does this, you know, does this doctor not even care about his license? Like this guy just doesn't give a shit at all. <laughs> like he just doesn't care anymore. Like, I've seen that before, you know. He just doesn't care. Just whatever. I'm going to check blood work. I'm like what? I've had patients yeah, come to me saying they've been to places like that. Like I just, that's insane. It's a little frustrating. And, and so there's a lot of clinics that are doing, um, and I hate to say it, they're doing like what I'd call like a cookie cutter protocol. You know, they prescribe 150 milligrams of test and quarter of an astrozole a week. And it's, they're just prescribing the AI right out the gate. And, you know, in an ideal world, you're, you're not even needing to use an AI if your testosterone dose is dialed incorrectly, you shouldn't be running into estrogen issues. No, you no, absolutely. You really most patients don't need it, you know, don't need an estrozole. Yeah. So yeah, I mean a lot of clinics yeah. just follow these cookie cutter, you know, plans. Uh, you know, a lot of weight loss clinics do. A lot, of, I mean, just a lot of clinics in general just follow cookie cutter protocols and uh the provider is lacking some critical thinking. Yeah, absolutely. Um, back to marketing a little bit. How have you marketed towards that female population? Is there like a specific age demographic you're going for? Um, I personally don't market to women. Um, okay. All the women that we have just land on our site because they're looking for testosterone replacement therapy or they they know someone that's coming and seeing us. So it's mostly just word of mouth and people just randomly finding us. But it's the, it's the same principles as targeting men. There's you know, there's no difference. It's, you know, what does a middle-aged female who's perimenopausal, who has money, you know, what, uh, what subreddits are she, is she on? What is she interested in Facebook? Like, then you have to get into the female psyche a little bit and figure out, okay, what are they looking up? Or, you know, or it, it's going to be different than what, you know, than what men are. Uh, but I mean, a lot of it should still be the same, no investing in that kind of a thing. I mean, uh, so you have to just play around with it and just do a little bit of market research and maybe just pick some women's brains and see what, you know, what they're interested in at that particular age for someone who has a little bit more of a higher net worth. Do you think it's still primarily that, you know, 40 year old plus for that audience? Predominantly. Yeah. Predominantly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very few women under the age of 40, 45 really need HRT. I mean, now, now I mean, there are some that do, no question about it, mm-hmm. but it's more going to be that perimenopausal kind of kind of stage, you know? Yeah, the progesterone seems to be 
more common with, you know, menopause issues and whatnot. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of times the testosterone will tank and stuff too. So, and the thing about testosterone yeah. replacement therapy in women is, uh, I don't think I've ever done lab work on a female and the testosterone level was normal ever. It's always yeah. out completely nothing. Yeah. I think that the one thing a lot of people overlook is that cortisol aspect. It plays a huge role on progesterone and testosterone production. And women get hit the hardest with it because, you know, if their cortisol is messed up, it really messes with that progesterone level. Sure. Sure. Uh, and yeah, this is why you need to have comprehensive lab work, right? So, yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, do you have any other questions? No, I think that you've pretty much answered everything pretty quickly for me. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, like I said, this was an interesting episode. It was interesting to talk with someone who's not, uh, you know, not a nurse practitioner, who's just, you know, a practice owner, kind of doing the same thing, but employing some nurse practitioners and that kind of a thing. Uh, just make sure you're paying your nurse practitioners well. Um, yeah. Maybe. I am. I, I pay the MD and our MP. They, they both make $100 per console. I don't want to underpay them at all. They're a really valuable asset. Yeah. I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing without them. So, yeah, that's 100 bucks. That's, you know, that's good money for 30 to 30 to 60 minutes of work, you know? So, yeah. Um, all right. Well, good. Uh, all right. Well, this was, this was a great episode, man. Um, I like the end of the episodes with you uh, asking me a, a question of curiosity about myself. Have you ever had a, a question for, for me specifically? Yeah, you uh, you said you're into investing. How did you get into that? Start going down that rabbit field a little bit. Uh, but yeah, yeah, how I got into it. Um, well, I think what it came down to was when I was working a lot for other people, right? Um, you know, I would do the whole, you know, put, you know, put the max amount in your four hundred one k a year kind of a thing, right? And like that's all I did, and so. You know, you're, you know, you you get your paycheck every two weeks. They deduct the thousand dollars or five hundred dollars or whatever it is, you know, to go towards your four hundred one k, and then that's it. And then you check the balance every once in a while, and you're like, okay, cool. And so it was just, you know, it's a very slow and steady gain, and you can't tap into it till you're almost sixty years old, right? So yeah, um, yeah. So you know, I was I'm working, and I'm just like, man, I'm so sick of just this rat race and working all the time. And so then I start my businesses and whatnot. And so I started generating more money, and the money was just sitting in the bank, right? And I'm like, I'm earning like 03 percent interest on this. This is money's just sitting here. It's not doing anything for me whatsoever. And so then I just started kind of looking into you know, how do you become financially independent? Like, how do you truly become independently wealthy? How do you get that FU money? How do you get that, you know, that income that allows you to just be able to walk away even from your business if you wanted to? Like, you have enough money to where it's working for you that you don't have to work or or, or run a business anymore. And so, like I said, just kind of led me down a rabbit hole of, Okay, you know, index investing, you know, bonds, uh, real estate, you know, those kinds of things. You start listening to podcasts, you start reading some books. And, you know, after a year or two of learning and doing, you just, it becomes second nature to you. So, um, yeah. So, my advice to you is once you start making some decent money, man, really, you know, put that money to work. Yeah, absolutely. Are there any good places you could suggest to go to learn? It's it seems like the everyone wants to teach how to trade something now, and sifting through all the sources and what's credible and what isn't is somewhat difficult. Yeah, so be very wary of listening to anyone trying to push one particular stock or something. Okay, um, just be very wary of that. Uh, you know, be very wary of just investing uh, in financial news in general. 
nobody can predict anything. Okay. Uh, nobody can. No one has any idea when the next recession's around the corner. No one has any idea when the next bull runs around the corner. Okay. Um, so just be very wary of that. Uh, so, um, but in terms of just like learning good, solid foundations of investing, um, you know, I, a lot of people don't like Dave Ramsey, but I, I like his philosophy. I think it's a pretty straightforward, solid uh, uh, financial foundation to live by. Um, you really can't go wrong with it. You know, he's, mm. he advocates very little debt, you know, investing and saving your money as much as possible, like just good sound principles. Right. Um, and then uh, Boggleheads. So I don't know if you know anything about Boggleheads. So B-O-G-L-E. Yeah. Yeah. So B-O-G-L-E heads, Boggleheads. It's an investment philosophy on a simplistic investment approach. And by a simplistic investment approach, it's investing your money into, uh, you know, pre-tax vehicles first, like 401ks and IRAs and that sort of thing. But everything else goes into a post-tax brokerage. So you pay your taxes on it. Um, you know, you pay the IRS, the, the, the taxes on your salary and your income, and then you invest it into very diversified index funds. And so you invest it in just a handful of different index funds, uh, uh, and in, in index funds invest in bonds, other in, uh, index funds that, that, that invest in value stocks and growth stocks, et cetera. Uh, and then you just sit back and just let it do its thing. Don't touch it. Don't buy and sell. Don't, you know, don't touch it. Just let it grow and keep putting money into it. And before you know it, you'll, you, you'll have millions of dollars in that because it'll just compound over time. It's a very simple investment philosophy and a lot of financial advisors, uh, they don't like it because they can't make money on it. Gotcha. Yeah. That, that makes sense though. I'll, I'll definitely give the boggle heads a look. I, I've watched some of Dave Ramsey stuff a little bit, but yeah, I appreciate all the advice. No, for sure, man. Well, listen, if you ever want to do a follow-up, uh, you got my email. So uh, shoot me an email. I wouldn't, uh, I'd love to do a follow-up and see how you're doing. Uh, you know, once all these DEA rules get changed and you know how it goes when you start marketing. Awesome. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me on, Justin. All right. No problem. Take care. Bye. All right. I hope everyone enjoyed the episode with Darren. It was an interesting episode, a unique perspective. I have not had a non-clinical person on the podcast before that has opened up a practice. So yeah, yeah, very interesting perspective uh, coming from a non-clinical individual uh, that was strictly just from the business owner perspective. So, you know, as a nurse practitioner, you have to have two hats. If you're going to be a business owner, you got to be the business owner and you also have to have the clinical owner. You have to have the business owner hat on and you also have to have the clinical individual hat on, right? Yeah, you that the nurse practitioner hat on. So Darren here, he has that business owner hat on for the most part. I mean, it sounds like he does know what he's talking about in terms of, you know, some of the science behind these things, but uh, predominantly the business owner hat there. So, so I want you to walk away from this episode, understanding that you need to really develop a business owner mindset. Okay. You can't just be a clinical individual and operate a successful practice. You just can't. I mean, there's some times where I feel like I know more business than I know clinical medicine sometimes. Like, you know, that's just kind of what happens. You end up becoming uh, very, you know, really focused on that. And so, uh, so yeah, so kind of keep that in mind as you're going through your entrepreneurial journey that you have to have two hats. You have to have that business owner hat and you have to have that clinical hat as well. All right. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed this episode. Talk to you guys later. Thanks. Bye.
Thank you for listening to the show. Quick legal disclaimer, the content of this podcast is meant for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be used as legal, financial, medical, regulatory, or practice-specific advice. For information pertaining to your specific legal, financial, medical, or practice-specific needs, please be sure to consult with your lawyer, CPA, medical director, and or your state's practice laws and the most up-to-date clinical guidelines. As always, do your due diligence when it comes to any information found online and in podcasts. The content in this podcast is copyrighted by Galaxy Medical Southwest 2023 and cannot be duplicated, rebroadcasted, or reproduced with without our written permission.